what's up everybody let's spin some yarn um today and to like a little disclaimer uh i'm pretty sure some people expected this a little earlier um coinciding with the whole mick pond speech backlash uh i was pretty sick for about three days um I was in bed for the majority of that and I had people sending me a lot of stuff and there's a lot going on and uh, I definitely felt compelled to do something um, but I just there was not a lot I could do uh, at the time so I'm feeling good enough to actually record something now but um, I went through a couple things before I get into the actual content um, I the my first reaction with like with, with a lot of uh, controversial things is to go out of my way to get the full picture um just to make sure that i'm not wrong a lot of the information i was getting was like reddit posts um people sending me screenshots of things uh and it's you know it's not all right from the source um and if i learned anything from the uh my friend christina and the whole tiktok chief thing um it's that if you don't do that you can be very very wrong in your in your uh perception and judgment of a situation and a, and a person's approach to a thing and so uh, i wanted to take the time to digest everything and and thankfully all of you did a amazing job of uh forwarding me all kinds of information uh, so first i got a transcript that was partial um and it wasn't official uh so i i mean i read it and it it didn't look good um i understood it was minus the context of one the entire uh all hands call um it just had like the excerpt from one sailor's question where some of the some of the rough lines came from and then um two uh it it wasn't from a source that i was a hundred percent like positive that it's it was accurate um it's not that i don't believe people when they send me things i definitely do uh the majority of the time but i also want to give the benefit of the doubt to the other side of the story essentially so um, luckily, again, uh, another listener was kind enough to send me audio. Uh, so I have an entire audio recording of the all hands call. I uh, don't know where it originated. No clue. Um, just somebody sent it to me anonymously. And uh, it's I listened to the entire thing. I literally just finished. It's 47 minutes long. So this is end to end. Like Mick Pond walks up on stage to Mick Pond walks off because he had somewhere else to be. Um and I thought it was important to hear that, too, uh, in order to provide context, which I think there's a lot of important context in the rest of the things that he said uh, to kind of give you an idea of of um, like what his intent was, um, because I don't and I'll get into it uh, as we go. But I don't believe there was uh, malice there. Like, I know he's <laughs> poor guy uh, is getting massacred by the Internet and. I understand why. Um, I don't think it's all valid, and, and I'll get into that. Um, but I just wanted to provide you that context. I've digested all the material that I can. Um, I, now there's a navy.mil con, uh, transcript of the entire all hands call, as well as uh, I've just got done listening to the entire audio recording. So I think I've got all the information I need um, and a pretty good idea of of how I feel about it um so kind of like in totality first of all um I think he went there with the best possible intentions um and and to even rewind a little further I don't think I don't know Russ Smith personally um 
I mean, the, the closest like link I have to him is we're Facebook friends, uh, like on our personal accounts. And that's just because I'm a chief in the Navy. Like he that's kind of how that goes generally is Mick Pons will accept friend requests from from Navy chiefs. And I just did it because I heard that he posted a lot of interesting stuff. So I just and, and I like to, you know, keep my finger on the pulse of things uh, for the purpose of this podcast and uh, talking to you about stuff, stuff like this. Um, but yeah, I don't know him personally, but I can tell you since he took office, which, you know, he keep in mind, he took office right after, uh, the prior McPon was, you know, like he resigned, was fired, whatever, under, uh, the dubious circumstances of that investigation for toxic leadership and the, you know, hostile work environment stuff, uh, that was so well publicized. Um, and when he did that, there was a couple of things that happened that I, I immediately took note of and they're, they're small things, but I think they're. They're also kind of they're significant uh, in that one of them, the one of the first things I noticed, well, first couple things, because they happened in pretty quick succession. So he became the interim McPond for a little bit. He was a, f- a fleet uh, at, I think, CNP, uh, if I remember right. I, th- I think don't quote me on that. But he's a fleet and he t- took over because he was like he was th- in within arm's reach, like he was in D.C. So it makes sense. And then uh, they decided he was the best guy for the job. Um so first he was serving as an interim uh and then uh when he when that happened they converted the the uh social media accounts from the prior mcpon's name uh to just office of the master chief petty officer of the navy um and i at first when i saw that i was kind of like oh they're just doing that because he's the interim uh and you know they don't know who the next person's gonna be so they're just um it's like a placeholder until they actually choose a new Mick Pond. But then once they named him uh, as the permanent uh, relief, two things happened. One, it never changed. He, he's left it that way to this day, um, which to me. And I mean, could it be happenstance? Like, could it be just a happy accident? Yeah, sure. But like, I don't think it is. I think that was deliberate. And I think it was something he probably told whoever handles those things. Like, hey, this is leave it that way. I, that's how I want it to be on purpose. Um, and two, the way that normally they do this big. Um, it's effectively a change of command ceremony when Mick Pons turn over. And I'm, I, they're probably going to do one for uh, when uh, Honia takes over. Um I think it's in September, but when he took when he was promoted, essentially, because he was just running around the fleet as the interim wearing normal mass chief anchors. So they they basically uh, named him as as the permanent guy. And uh, he was on board the Constitution. They were underway. Um, I think it was chief season at the time. So I think some he just had like some chiefs or some chief selects or something, pinned some three star anchors on him and kept it moving. Um, and that was another thing that like he didn't make a big deal out of it. He just it was like, oh, OK, hey, I'm the guy now. OK, pin these anchors on me. And then he just kept doing what he was doing. Um, those two things communicated a lot about his character. And again, I'm perceiving this uh, from afar. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that they these things mean what I think they mean. Um, but then I, I followed him pretty closely, uh, like the speeches he's given, the uh um, types of things he's he's tried to do behind the scenes. Um, I and I've always and I've talked to Fleet Master Chief uh, retired Paul Kingsbury quite a bit about this level of leadership and what it's like and how political it is and how hard it is to get things done. And he touched on this a little bit in the full context of the all hands call. 
Um, and so I, I'm often like a little inflammatory about like how I wish they would basically like push harder, throw their weight around, um, kind of like realize they're at their terminal rank, uh, whether they're a fleet master chief or the MCPON. I mean, they're they're very the fleets are very likely at their terminal pay grade and uh, and position and that, you know, only one of them gets to become the MCPON and a lot of them are going to retire at the at the position they're at. Um, but also, like, I just take the power out for a spin and see what it can do, you know, like and and with the understanding that they have to convince uh, the people holding the purse strings and uh, the admirals that, you know, sign off on all this stuff and actually make a lot of these decisions uh, to do these things. If there's awkward pauses, it's because I'm pausing the audio recording to cough my guts out. Um, and so uh, I, I'm, I'm pushy about it. Um, and I think that I, I've always kind of wondered in, in the behind the scenes piece, like I, I think I'd probably burn bridges and be a lot more vocal about it and all those other things. But I'm also never going to be in that position. Um, so it's easy for me to sit behind a microphone and advocate for all these things, not really knowing what goes into it, but also knowing enough from having those conversations with Paul that um, there's not always a, a large appetite for rocking the boat really hard uh, in in pursuit of that type of change. But he made some interesting comments about that that I'll get to about how he has gotten like into screaming matches and borderline physical altercations over advocating for some of, of the type of change that people are really advocate about, like childcare and um and uh, like he's trying to get a firefighting trainer in at RTC and stuff like that. But um, so with, with kind of all that being said, like the, the more I pay attention to this guy um, and again, like he posts stuff on his personal social media page. He's a really introspective dude. Uh, he very thoughtful. Like he takes a lot of time to examine things. He takes a lot of time to uh, like think things through. And he's very like, um, um, I don't know, like contemplative probably is a good word for it, but uh, I don't think for a second, like I, I know anybody that, because like put this into context too, and this sounds like this is all just in defense, uh, and trust me, it's not, like that. I, there are some things that I think are really problematic about what he said, uh, but I think he would say that too, uh, and I'm probably going to seek that, seek that answer for myself and see if uh, he's willing to have a conversation, but whether it's, you know, on here or, or just via messenger or something, but, uh, I think this, like anybody that sticks around for this long loves the job, right? And there's very different versions of that, right? Like there's people that, uh, love the job because they stuck around enough to get to a position of power. Uh, and then they start abusing that and <laughs> fall in love with that. Uh, I think those people are largely the minority, but again, like that's a whole different topic that I spend the majority of my time on already. So, you know, go listen to all the other episodes, but, um, but this dude in particular, I had, I had a lot of pro like hope for, uh, this Mick Pond when he, when he came in and, and I, I still believe that he is in this for the love of the game. Like he's in this because he cares about sailors. He stuck around this long. Um, candidly talked about some of his own mental health issues. The fact that he went through a divorce last year. Like if you get the chance and I think the audio is available, I'll try to drop a link in the description. Um, I've 
currently promised somebody that I won't share the audio that I have right now. Um, but I think it's already out there. So I, I'll try to find a link to a, a different audio recording until I can get the okay to, to publish this one. Um, which again, I mean, I probably wouldn't even do unless Mick Pond Smith like <laughs> gave me permission as well. Just, I mean, the, the, the transcripts already out there, but I think the audio recording is, it, it'll change your perception of some of it just hearing the way that he's talking and the and just like voice inflection and tone of voice means something and i think you can kind of judge for yourself based on hearing it a lot better uh what his actual intent was with a lot of this stuff um but with all that being said like i uh i think this guy cares about sailors i think he when I like he he deviated from his plan schedule he said he was going to the stennis because he understood that there was a crisis going on on gw and went over there uh, because he thought that's where he needed to be, which I think was a correct, uh, the correct move. Um, I also don't know if he spent a bunch of time walking around the ship talking to sailors. Like I think, I mean, I would have blown up my whole day. Um, and I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm any better or anything. I'm just saying that like this is I would have devoted all of my bandwidth to that ship on that day. Um, schedule be damned because I feel like that's where you need to be. You know, like that's where your attention needs to be. That's I think that. It would have meant a lot to the crew of that ship for him to be like there for an extended period of time, talking to the chief's mess individually, talking to the wardroom, perhaps uh, walking around to different work centers, watching sailors work, like talking to them individually um, without like supervision and cameras and all that crap, um, things like that. But uh, and that is something that like, I don't know how much of that they actually do. Uh, in my experience, when those trips happen, it's not that much. Like, there's a little bit of it, but it's usually, like, for the cameras and stuff. It's not... You don't get a lot of FaceTime with those people without a whole bunch of cameras and, like, entourage and all that other crap. So it's hard to judge whether or not it's authentic. Um, but I uh, I think that probably would have... I don't know. I think that would add a lot to it. But... Um, with with that understanding like with that kind of <laughs> con like pre-context i guess uh i think the dude cares a lot um and i think he just he made some mistakes on this day obviously and we'll get into that um so uh i i thought it was interesting because he, st he started the whole thing off uh trying to like empathize or sympathize with the crew that was going through this really tough time because you're looking at potentially and I, I get a lot of uh, through all the articles I've gone through a lot of varying uh, confirmations of but it looks like there's uh, been seven to ten uh, deaths on board in the last ten ish months um, I'm still trying to figure out which what the actual number is but it's it's a lot obviously um, and it's unusual for there to be that that like cluster and that it happening that's it there's very clearly an acute problem here so he's he's basically saying like i've been there um not just losing sailors and and being in that situation but he was talking about like the being in rcoh which is a really long overhaul period for an aircraft carrier um i read that they're planned for about four years this one is extended so they're looking at like five so you know it's it's pretty i mean you could spend your whole enlistment on this thing just in the shipyard which is I, I can't even imagine. I hate being in the shipyard. And I don't think I've ever been in the shipyard longer than like nine months. So uh, he was he was started by trying to like sympathize like, hey, like I know this sucks. I've been there. It's rough like that kind of thing. Um, and then th and then after that, make sure that he thanks them 
for all the work that they're doing uh, and specifically, which I think is important. And I think the way that he did it was genuine. I don't think it was just like a, a throwaway statement that he's saying because it's on the script about thanking them for uh, all the work they're putting in in general. But like also when you th- I don't think a lot of sailors and service members spend a lot of time contemplating like the significance of their contribution to our nation's defense. Right. And if you see when you scroll back and you're looking at the strategic big picture, getting 20 to 25 years extra lifespan out of out of a CBN, out of a, an, an aircraft carrier is a gigantic deal uh, for projecting power and just like the the national defense strategy overall. Um, if you really want to dork out, look up the national defense strategy. Um, and then uh, uh, the other one's called the design for maintaining maritime superiority. Uh, there's all these policy documents on like the national level uh, strategic like plan and what's important to it uh and if you really want to get into the weeds it's they're kind of vague because it's big picture strategic stuff and it's just kind of like pillars and principles and goals and stuff like that but i it's a gigantic deal uh to maintain that asset on the you know on the playing field for an extra 20 25 years so it's just he was trying to link the the effort to uh the end result which like I, I think when you do it in a meaningful way is an important like motivator for people so that was something that jumped out at me um, and then he really quickly turned it over to questions which I can tell you at the fleet force mash mash off the Navy level at an all hands call doesn't usually happen that way like you're usually sitting there listening to them wax philosophical about whatever talk in circles about policy things and then they get to some questions that seem like they and it like annoys them almost um, or they just talk in circles and give you very political answers and then they move on with life. Um, I've often almost probably universally felt unfulfilled after those conversations, except for this one, like uh, and, and like, you know, one or two others. But uh, I thought that him turning over to questions almost immediately was indicative of like why he was there and his intent going in. Um, and uh just like mentioned that why uh he stopped by um was based on current events which i thought like i saw a bunch of stuff basically saying that he made these comments about how oh i wasn't even going to come here i was going to stennis but and it's like that's not what he said at all he very clearly like was just saying like uh that he thought it was so important that he come there that he can't ex his original plans to come to the george washington because of what was going on he was basically trying to in my opinion he was trying to communicate the importance of coming there and, and hearing them uh he t- got a covid question about uh the all the like covid response stuff um i didn't hate how he answered it i think you can take a little more ownership for the things that we did wrong and probably say like hey yeah we maybe we did go a little far into the right and now that we're on the right track and we're on the kind of on the other end of this at this point uh we'll learn from those mistakes instead of basically just defending the way that we did everything because i think it's pretty clear to most people that there was a lot of (laughs) there's a lot of ridiculous things done um that made everybody's life a lot more difficult uh and clearly we don't need any help uh making our jobs hard so uh then got to a mental health question um, about resources and if there's been a spike in issues. Uh, And he mentioned 
that uh, there's actually been a decrease this year. And he was vague. So like in his defense, he's like, there's been a dis- decrease percentage wise this year. Um, I don't know where he's getting that from. I looked it up. Uh, so you're looking at there's been a decrease from total uh, occurrences from 2020 to 2021 uh, by by seven uh, statistically. But then when you look at quarters uh, for 2021 and then you compare uh, like um, the quarters like there there was an increase. And then if you compare um, like currently we're on track, I, I believe 2022. Let me bring up the screen really quick. I got a lot going on right now in browser windows and all this other stuff in order to try to try to address all this. But um, so if you go to my Navy HR, there's a statistics page under suicide prevention in the 21st century sailor section. Uh separate from where I got the other statistics, which um, I'll put all these links in the show notes to get out. So I'm not going to in the weeds uh, talking about it, but it says for 2022. So current year, because the report isn't out yet that they release, which is where I got all the other stuff from active components uh, already at 15 for 2022. Um, and then there's, I'm not going to get it. There's a, they have some other information where it says previous month and all this stuff. And it's can, the wording's confusing. So I'm not really sure what's being communicated there, but what I can tell you is, so they have for active component 15 for reserve component two. So, I mean, it's a total of 17 technically, but if we're talking about active duty, there's, we're already at 15. So I don't, and when you compare like 15, uh, so we're in quarter one of 2022, uh, and then you go to quarter one of uh, 2021, we were at 12 so for the first quarter. So it's like it's it's an increase. Like we're we're at an increase. If you if you're just comparing like the first quarter of 2022 to the first quarter of 2021, uh, we're ahead. We're not we're, it, there has not been a decrease. I'm not sure what he meant by that or what numbers he was using. But based on the statistics I can find from official resources, uh, which are like DOD resources and my Navy HR, it, that statement's false. Um, but uh, he went, so he started talking about um, resources and stuff, but then he shared a personal story about his own mental health. Um, it was a catalyst for his joining the Navy and then was pretty candid about bad leadership that he had in the past to the point where he called uh, his senior chief at the time, an asshole, and he talked about a crappy demo he had, um, which I thought was refreshing. Um, I was pretty honest of him, which I thought was was pretty great. Um, but he then gets into uh, the mess has a role, right? It, which started out great. Like, I love it um, that that you're pointing at the mess and saying that leadership, especially enlisted leadership, needs to take ownership of the problem. It explains how we should be going out of our way to take care of of our people um, and, and like help get them back to whole and focused and ready to work. The problem, as I've talked about a ton, is that we don't really educate any of these people on how to do that. Um, a guy like Russ Smith, I think, has the education and capacity and tools to do this really well. Um, and I say that with the understanding of there's problematic statements later that I'm going to talk about and that I understand the response people had to them. But uh, I want to get all this context stuff out of the way first. So uh, the mess for sure. And, and you could say the war germ, everything else, right? Like everybody has a role in this. 
um, I would you know even say like, and he says it at the end of the speech, like looking out, look out for each other. You hear that all the time, all the trainings we do and everything else. Look out for each other, uh, lean on each other, all this other stuff. We're never really educated on how to do that. They just keep saying to do that. Um, I think it's an unrecognized gap in leadership's like ability and preparation to do the jobs that they're doing. And I go into that in great detail in other podcasts, but like the you're never taught those soft skills like you just aren't. And there's a lot of people that don't have those naturally or from like the context in which they grew up or from their own education outside of the military. So when you're telling them like, hey, look out for your people like I, I don't know how many people recognize the issues for being anything other than disciplinary problems because he made a comment about how like you're walking down the p-way to go to brief your department head and um you see a sailor that looks like they're like something's off right so that and he's saying like you need to stop and address that and find out what's going on and then if you're going to be late just tell the department head you're going to be late and explain it to him later i 100 percent agree with that statement except for the problem of i don't know how many leaders are equipped to recognize that problem as something other other than like a sailor that has a ba- an attitude problem or a sailor that's failing to conform or a sailor that just has a bad work ethic or some other type of problem that leads straight to disciplinary action, which is a complaint you hear from a lot of junior people pretty routinely. Um, I, I know I do from the feedback that I get from this podcast. So I think a, a huge issue there and it like it's a great point that you're making, right? <laughs> like because uh, he then goes into like we have to scale up access to care, right? And he's like, well, we're doing that. Like, that's a concern a lot of people have. And I can tell you over my 21 year career, access to mental health and acceptability of accessing mental health resources has skyrocketed. However, the demand continues to, in his words, outstrip the capacity. And so he, what he's saying is like, look, and it's the same thing I've been saying, which I, I 100% agree with the, the premise, right? that you can't just keep addressing the the symptom of a problem like we're we're looking at it at and we're saying oh this thing's on fire we got to put out the fire which is 100 percent accurate like at this point we have a, a significant mental health problem and we need to address the those like acute issues that are manifesting in the ways that they are leading to this skyrocketing demand for mental health care but we also need to address like fire prevention and safety like we need to go back to the root cause and figure out look why are we having all these problems and that's why i think there was such like a a negative like passionately like vehement response to some of the things that were said during this thing it's not because what he said was so horrific it was the the you hit that pressure point of like like we have all these mental health issues because of the accumulation like the sum of all of the negative parts that exist right so like it's a death of a thousand cuts like parking sucks habitability sucks we don't have access to food uh our leadership sucks they don't know how to check on us they don't know how to empathize and talk to us and exercise emotional intelligence and take care of us and meet our needs like uh it's if if you're if everything's on fire around you all the time like and one of the ways that i explain kind of my uh my frustration with uh towards the end of my career where it's like i kind of realized it was time to go home was 
I'm in constant conflict with everything and everyone all the time. And I'm saying that to express the idea that I, I'm fighting with everybody about everything all the time. Like all the things I talk about on this podcast, like I'm I'm pushing chiefs to do what they're supposed to be doing. I'm pushing officers to do what they're supposed to be doing. I'm fighting with people about doing the right thing, taking care of sailors, going out of their way to do all these things that are obviously the right answer that are within their power to do that, in my opinion, are like the bare minimum required expectation of a leader in, uh, in any capacity or role. And it's it's like at some point you just get to this this place where it's like I can't do everything and save everyone. And it's and it's not like I'm not like lionizing myself or anything. It's just like I, I, I feel like it's I'm at this point where I'm I'm shouting at the wind like I can't fix everything and I'm largely failing to fix a lot of these things I can only influence what's in my orbit but I also have this compulsion to like attack those those things and issues that I see as they happen and so eventually you get to this point where you're just overextended and um, like super jaded and bitter and stressed out and and I just like I, I'm starting to like malfunction literally. Um, that's why I have the mental health issues that I have, and that's why I talk about them candidly on this podcast. So it's like people understand like it doesn't just happen uh, to junior people. Like it's it, there's an accumulation effect that happens, and I think it happens to everyone. But I think the primary driver of that is leadership not solving these problems, and I don't think it takes the mickpon to solve the lion's share of the problems that. Uh, he was asked about during this all hands call, right? Like there was a warrant that asked questions about like, like, hey, we're at this shipyard in Newport News and like we're kind of on a windy corner. There's no access to anything like even just like roach coaches and like coffee stands and stuff. Um, and in the McPon, you know, he's like, I'm trying to get a firefighting trainer at RTC and I'm like fighting to get the funding to that. I'm trying to get a thousand child care centers so that people have affordable like child care so that they can go do their job and not have to worry about that or not have this crazy financial burden on themselves to go out in town. Like it doesn't take him to do that. There are local commanders that can solve that problem. Like there's like the triad on the aircraft carrier, the the uh, I don't even know. Like I know when they're at sea, they have like a carrier strike group admiral like whoever like those level people like a, a flag level officer or the CEO of that carrier could figure that out with the shipyard CEO like get some roach coaches down here get a, a coffee truck or trailer or whatever like there are there are things that could be done to solve that problem um, it's not and it's not something that takes anywhere near uh, the McPon's level of influence to make happen so that these it, my point being that like all these problems exist and there are a ton of other people not fixing them. He's busy doing the doing those types of like high level things or trying to. And it sounds like being as frustrated as I've been with lower level stuff and as frustrated as a lot of sailors on the deck plate are with the fact that like whatever the problem is, like leadership or habitability or food or whatever, um, it, it's it all adds up. But the most important part of it is leadership like it's it's we need emotionally intelligent leaders that are equipped to intervene at the beginning 
make sure those sailors have everything they need. Make sure they have access to all the resources. Make sure that whatever problems they have uh, are addressed, personal, professional, whatever, have the training, the qualifications. Um, you address those needs. Like, go look at Maslow's Pyramid. And I know I'm like beating a dead horse with this. The hierarchy of needs and sense of belonging is a, is a huge one, but sometimes it's as simple as like physiological needs. Um, it's safety. It's There's a lot of things that if you take the time to actually care about these human beings and learn about what needs they have that are not being met and with the things that you can do to help meet them, it's like it fixes all of the stuff and it sounds simple. I know it's not easy, but it's simpler than you think it is to understand and to like access those problems, then understand them. And then you leverage that institutional technical expertise and the resources that you have within the mess and the command and everything else and on base and whatever to address those needs. Like, and then it fixes a lot of these problems. That's where I think we're failing. And I think that's the solution to a large part of this is like preventing the like acute mental health issues that we're having a large part of it i think is meeting those needs and some of those needs are just the basic things that these sailors are are upset about like habitability like i've slept on a submarine where everything's taken down there's no ventilation they're welding they're like um needle gunning and all that crap there's not even mattresses like but i had to sleep on the ship because of what was going on when i was on duty this is as like a chief or senior chief and uh it's miserable. I was sweating. Like I woke up soaked. I'd have to walk up to the pier, like and climb all the way off the submarine, go up to the pier just to use a, a portage on. Um, we didn't even have access to showers. You were taking bird baths. It's just like I get it, and it's that shouldn't happen. Um, they're generally on a submarine. You have access to birthing barges, which with the number of personnel that are on a carrier, I don't know how practical that would be unless we're talking about only duty section. And even then that's gotta be like hundreds of people like high hundreds, I would think like, um, but I don't, there's, there is a solution, whether it's like you phase the work in a way that there's habitability in one section of the ship where the duty section is, whether you only have the people on the ship, that are required to maintain like force protection, damage control, like response requirements. And those people are awake, alert and either on watch or on standby. And then everyone else is off the ship in a place where habitability exists, um, sleeping, whatever. And maybe birthing barges can address just that piece. Um, but there's a solution out there. It's a solution that doesn't require the MCPON to solve, but it, it's definitely a concern. Like it's, it's, it's obviously something that needs to get dealt with, but I think, it can be dealt with at a command level or, you know, like above flag officer, or whatever. Um, some of the stuff that people were on fire about uh, the first one, um, he referenced. So he referenced uh, paying for his own mental health care. Uh, and that was something that people kind of freaked out about. They were basically like he basically he told a, a room full of largely junior personnel that, it, it, you know, like if there's a six week wait, you should just pay for your own mental health care. It's not what he said. Um, it's just not like if you read the, the official transcript or you listen to the audio recording, if you can access it. Um, he was talking about as Mick Pond when he got divorced, 
he sought mental health care and there was a six week wait, which I can tell you in per- from personal experience, that's pretty accurate. Um, I go like every two weeks, but I schedule the appointments like two months out, like because there's such a, a demand. And uh, it sounded to me again, read the transcript or listen to the audio recording yourself. Um, but to me, it sounded like he was making the point that the six week wait was something that even affected the Mikpon. So he understands the problem. Uh, and because he has the ability financially, he paid for it himself. He was not saying that that was like the solution that you should just pay for it uh, yourself. Um, and he immediate, immediately led into examples of scaling up access to care and how they're working on that. So I think the, the point he was trying to make and it you know seemed to be misinterpreted by a lot of people was um, he understands that the access to care is it, it, like backlogged because it even affected him when he needed it. He went and paid out of pocket because he had the financial resources to do that. And he thought he needed it right now, but he understands that it's a it's a problem. And then, you know, he went into those examples of like how they're working on uh, scaling stuff up, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, so uh, the habitability question that came up was the one that I think got the most attention because the whole Internet is making lower your expectations memes. Um, he didn't say that either, like. I get the interpretation being what it was. He said, manage your expectations, not lower them. Um, like, this is the first one where I'm like, uh, like, I wish you wouldn't have said that because what he gets into later is some of the stuff where I, I have a problem with the um, kind of the idea of like, because he says later, like, well, this, this is just what happens uh, in RCOH, like on an aircraft carrier. And it's like, you might as well have said this is how we've always done it and that gives like i have a pretty negative knee-jerk response to that because it's like and again not that this is like stuff that requires mcpon level attention like the triad of that aircraft carrier could do a lot to fix a lot of these things if they chose to um so could the people above that like locally above that um like first flag level and chain of command stuff could do a ton to fix all of these things but they're just not um and so you i mean you can make the argument that elevating it to this level of attention might spur that type of response and i hope that it does um but based on his response i don't think that it will because i don't think that it got the the you didn't get the stimulus you needed like you didn't get, he wasn't saying like yeah you're right there needs to be uh improved birthing and f- increased access to food which like uh, you know, hate to 100% disagree, but yes, we can serve meals 24 hours a day. Uh, not a buffet, not like a 24 <laughs> 7 all you can eat buffet, but I 100% can feed the crew 24 hours a day, like by doing meals around the clock, right? So, like, we're underway um, where you're doing four meals a day. Uh, and it doesn't have to suck. And that's a another topic for another time as well. I have podcasts on that that I'll link in the description, but like, I'm a, I'm a CS master chief. Like I'm telling you in my professional opinion and experience that I can objectively serve around the clock four meals a day to support everybody on board that has to be there, um, which is a, a, a hugely reduced number in comparison to what you would have like underway. Right. Because they don't have. And again, like, correct me if I'm wrong, carrier people, but like you don't have an air wing on board when you're in the shipyard. Um, 
you know, you're just at ship's complement. Plus, when we're talking about most of those meals, the whole crew is not even on board, uh, like the night meals and stuff like that. But and like you could put a, you could put a large cr- amount of the crew uh, on comrades or something and like do other things like there's there's a ton of different ways you could accomplish it. But you can 100 percent create access for food 24 hours a day and I could do it under the like the requirements of like having a general mess open and serving the crew. Like there's a ton of different ways to do it. Um, but that's just another one where it's like, you're saying that based on your experience where effectively the, the, the catch all answer is like, well, this is just what it's like in RCOH. Well, that's bullshit. Like figure it out, like fix that. Um, there's a lot of relief that could come uh, if the triad and local leadership just decided to make that happen. Um, the foxhole statement was rough. Um, I, like there was a little context that softened the blow like a tiny bit, but like, come on, man, like you're comparing something that's completely unrelated because it's, it's like saying like uh, if you're like those people are on deployment, <laughs> like so like a seal or a marine or whatever like they're on deployment in a combat zone so of course they're they're roughing it and doing like eating an mre and not a hot meal and all the other like of course they are um the food doesn't get better when i go on deployment like <laughs> it's definitely better in port because i have access to more things i can get food deliveries whenever i want blah i have the whole like division uh, available to like work in the galley all at once instead of having to have some people in the rack because i'm maintaining the 24-hour watch bill stuff like that um i that i, I didn't that's that's the danger of speaking off the top of your head um i that that those ones were rough i i didn't it wasn't a good look i i understand the negative reaction to it and i wasn't a giant fan of the comparison because it's like it didn't it didn't even make sense to me um so i understand people's negative response to that um like the starbucks thank you for your service thing like uh, uh, big oof like i i get that one too like I, I don't agree like you and I think the reason these all these like types of comments face planted so hard was because the lion's share of the junior population recognizes it for what it is and it's like he might as well have said this is how we've always done it like you're just trying to find ways to validate the status quo when we know the status quo is not the best we can do um i just it's it's rough like the, this is how we've done it attitude and um justification for the kind of stuff that these sailors are complaining about that is affecting their mental health and is affecting their quality of life and and like it's going to affect retention too. like talking about the, some statistic about 78% of, of sailors don't go past 10 years. And it's like, well, why is that? Maybe we should talk about all of these things that we have a ton of control over. Um, some of which, because the first response from a lot of people is funding. And, and he did mention that at some point about when the warrant officer was talking about like having more access to amenities and resources. Well, who's going to pay for that? That was one of the first things that 
came out of the McPond's mouth and it's like, look, man, I get it. And I get he probably looks at a lot of things through those lens because when he f- advocates for increased resources, it's almost always linked to funding. And that's what he spends a lot of his time battling for. But uh, I just looping back around to there you just have a tremendous amount of control over this quality of life type of stuff like there's a ton that the local chain of command the base resources and all other stuff can do um, without spending a tremendous amount of money but it would all be like local funding if they did have to spend money or potentially in the case of like food I can spend the money I already have the resources I already have by virtue of the fact that I have an established general mess to improve quality of life um, in, in relation to like access f- to food and stuff. And there's a lot of things I could even like, I can get waivers from like NAFS up and get permission to do things that we don't normally do. Blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, it was rough. The, and, and like, who's, who's going to do it? Uh, who's going to advocate f- or like, who's going to make these things happen? Cause he was talking about like, well, who's going to pay for it? Like, well, who's going to do it? Um, you like and and i don't mean him literally but like the leadership uh and stuff like that like this is all stuff leadership uh can can do to to just make make quality life better um which i think will have a trickle down effect on pretty much everything because it takes a lot of that uh a lot of the really painful stuff away from the death of a thousand cuts right the leadership problem is still the biggest piece leadership fumbling the ball uh in, in relation to just like emotional intelligence and, and making sure the needs of the sailors are met is a giant part of it. But some of the needs will be met by upper level leadership, like addressing a lot of these problems as well. So it's they're they're linked. Um, so he definitely cut people off a few times. I think that, you know, like we shouldn't do that. I say that with the understanding that one, my wife yells at me all the time for doing it. Um, and then like you guys yell at me sometimes for doing it with guests. I get excited. I don't know if that's what he was doing. Um, like he, he was, he was like, you get in, in a, in a conversation about something you're passionate about. And sometimes like inevitably you're going to feel attacked a little bit because like, like he mentioned a story about getting like, and I said it earlier about the like getting in near physical altercations and screaming matches with civilians and with like high level military uh, people advocating for certain things and getting funding for certain things or whatever. So like in his mind, like I've sacrificed all these, all this time and effort and bandwidth to the point that I'm getting in screaming matches with people in, in the Pentagon or wherever. And you're telling me like, I'm not doing enough. So like I, there's probably a, a, a mechanism of that like a piece of that is is he was jumping in because he's like no we like i am doing something about this you just aren't it's like there's not full transparency at all times with everything always so you just don't know that he's doing these things unless someone tells you which um he kind of cracked that door open a little bit and i mean i believe him but i have no reason not to um but then you know like i understand the perception of it though like especially for junior sailors like which it seemed mostly like I know he cut the warrant off. I can't I couldn't the audio recording. It's kind of hard to hear who's asking the question. So like, I don't know who else it was. So hopefully it wasn't junior people, but I don't know. Um, and then uh, got to the end. The last question, I, I mean, about the bonuses, like, <laughs> like, I get it. Uh, basically, the question was like, are we going to give bonuses to people that are already in if we're giving bonuses to every single person we're recruiting? And it's like, look, so one, I have a problem with certain incentives, um, rank being 
number one on that list. Um, I don't have a problem with the military throwing money at people to retain them or to get them to enlist to do a certain type of job. The reason why they're throwing money at everyone right now is it's simply based on year groups and like demand for people within that year group. So when they're recruiting, they have like a, a yearly goal. And so when you look at like the, if they're going to give 50 grand or 25 grand or whatever it is to like every single person for every single rating that they're recruiting right now, it's because they're having a really hard time recruiting people across the board. Right. And uh, some of that might just be strategy where they think they could talk people into doing other jobs and stuff, too. But uh, they're saying, like, we're going to give this money to everybody. So they're doing that because in that year group, they need people for every single rating. If you look at your uh, community overview on my Navy HR, it'll show you there's a little bar graph shows you every year group. Um, you can't like some year groups. There's not going to be uh, a bonus for because they don't need people. So you'll see like on the SRB message, they'll have all the different zones. There's a range of dates for those zones. Some zones have SRBs. Some don't for like. So if you look to OS, some of them probably have SRBs. Some of them don't. Right. They're going to throw money at the areas where they need people. Right. And not just it's not just by rating, which is a common misconception. They're like, oh, well, the Navy needs OSs, So they're just going to throw money at all of them. No, they're not because they probably are overmanned at like chief and above, but they're not overmanned at certain year groups. So they're going to throw money at those year groups because that's where they need people to be. <laughs> so that's all that's happening right now is in order to meet the needs for the current year groups, like the ones that they're projecting uh, that these new accession sailors are going to fill, they need everybody. And they're they're apparently having a really hard time meeting quota to the point that they needed to use those financial incentives. So like, look, I get it. But like and like the way that he said, like, that's why you get a paycheck. Eh, probably could address that up a little bit and cushion the blow. But it's like he's not wrong either. Um, it's the comment about extending you like that's never going to happen like the inactive ready reserve you're like you're not going to get extended and i don't that's not something he can do it's like the dod but like okay that was i didn't like that i can compel you to stay statement either but i understand what he meant like i he was the, he was trying to make the same point i'm making but i just think there's just there's a lot of things and I'll I'll summarize this at the end. I know I've been all over the place, but I, I literally just took notes as I listened to the entire audio recording. Um, but yeah, that whole thing, like it's the the whole bonus question. I, th I thought it was kind of petty, even though I understand like why the kid was asking it. It's just a lack of understanding, I think, about like how financial incentives are used because he was making the point about like S dip and stuff like like my any seats, like I get like a, I think seven hundred to a thousand dollars a month for every month I would I would terminate short duty and go back to see early right now, um, to do a job that a first class or a chief can do, um, and it it gets paid to you like it's an SRB. So it's like there's a lot of different ways the military uses money as an incentive to get people where they need them to be, um, and to retain certain people and to recruit certain people, but they're only going to do it where there's an identified need based on that community overview by your group, not by specific rating if you guys got questions about that hit me up I'd, I'd be happy to explain it or send you links or whatever uh, to those resources um, but at the end uh, he ended with lean on each other look out for each other that kind of thing um, which I like I agree with I think like I said earlier the the solution to this is um, is leadership doing a much better job of equipping like first line leaders, deck plate leadership, junior officers, 
department heads, people like that, that are, that have ready, like local access to sailors on a regular basis with the emotional intelligence and education and tools and, and resources that they need to be able to do the things that Mick Pond was saying uh, in a speech. And that's the gap that exists. And I don't know if it's as recognized as it is for like a guy like me and by junior sailors who are the end user of that leadership. I don't know if it's, if it's recognized at the highest levels, like I think it should be Um, because without equipping these people to do the thing, they're not going to be able to do it. It's, it's literally as simple as, as the example I've used in the past of like, I can't put a sailor on watch if I haven't like trained and qualified them to stand that watch. Like I can't say go drive the submarine when you're not qualified to do it and you have no idea how to do it. You don't even know what all these buttons and switches do. You don't know how the sticks work to or the helm works or whatever. And that applies to everything that we do, right? Like if you're not qualified to do it, I can't put you I can't make you an armed sentry if you don't know how to fire a weapon. Like if you don't if you've never gone to the range, if you're not qualified that weapon, if you're then not qualified that watch station, you can't be like a control point watch. Like you can't uh, like check IDs and badges and and understand what all that stuff means and and do it properly so that you're controlling access to the the ship uh, in the way that you're supposed to. All those kinds of things are things that we can't put sailors in the position to do unless we train and qualify them properly to do that thing effectively. We have never in the lifespan of all of these leaders that are supposed to be doing the things that he's saying we need to be doing. And I would argue that um, even for like junior sailors, for like second classes that are on the deck plate that are recognizing these same kind of things and they were saying like lean on each other, look out for each other. We're not equipping them in the way that we should. I, even though there's been steps, right? I think the warrior toughness thing is a step. I think they've tried with things like full speed ahead and some other stuff, but it's just like, I don't know. Like, I don't think it's, I don't think it's what it should be. Um, but I think leadership is, is the primary uh, target of this type of education and, and training and qualification is like putting them in a position to recognize the signs, to intervene early, to identify unmet needs and meet them and the importance of doing all those things. It's like, like walk around your shop one day and, and ask a, like a bunch of khakis if they know what, who Maslow is, if they know what a hierarchy of needs is. Um, I'm sure some people have heard of it, especially the college educated like O-gangers, but I bet you most of the people that you talk to it will have never heard of it. And it's not even necessary for them to have heard of him in particular or be able to identify his work specifically, but just generally like just the idea of there being a hierarchy of needs that apply to all these people and that you have to identify if those needs are unmet and then go out of your way to meet them. Like I, we've just never invested the time and effort to, to train and educate these people so that they're qualified to do that thing. And that's the solution. That's the most important thing that we could be spending time on is fixing this gigantic leadership problem. And it, I always loop back to the, to the very beginning, to the reason I started this thing seven years ago. Leadership development and education is the problem because leadership's the solution to everything, right? I use this quote and my professors probably hate me, but um, I'm finishing my bachelor's degree in like a week and 
I swear to God, in every paper I've ever written about military leadership, there's a quote in there from like the Jocko Willink book, uh, uh, Extreme Ownership, where uh, there's a quote in there and it, it, he, they were basically telling us a story about boat teams while they were in buds and they were doing these races. They like do these boat team races where I think they like paddled out in the surf and then came back and um, there was a team of little guys uh, as he called them, which were like the smaller guys at buds. And then they put like a bunch of studs on another one. And basically what happened was one boat team had effective leadership. The other one didn't. And that boat team was winning and the other one wasn't. And it was the little guys. And so they're basically making the excuse in their minds of like the little guys were losing because they're little guys. So the instructors took the effective leader from the winning crew and put it on the losing crew. And all of a sudden the losing crew started smoking everybody. And it was all the little guys. And the quote from the book is the single most important factor in the in the like effectiveness of teams i'm paraphrasing is leadership like the the single most important factor for like team outcomes is leadership like there are no like losing teams like winning or losing teams like there's no ineffective teams there's only ineffective leadership like and you've probably heard some version of that too i regurgitate that quote every seven seconds because it's 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 like my prime directive like it's it's like wired into my dna um, I really do believe in this context, right? In this hierarchy or uh, bureaucracy or organization or whatever you want to call it within the confines of the military. Leadership's the solution to everything. All the problems that we have, a lot of them, we spend all this time addressing symptoms of a problem. We see uh, all these flare ups in uh like all these different areas uh, like maintenance or uh, sexual harassment or suicidal ideations or uh, recruiting or whatever, like whatever problem that is making the headlines today, when you really dig down and figure out what's the root of the problem, how did we get here and what could we done have done to prevent it? Yeah, like addressing sexual harassment with sexual harassment training mandatory every year or addressing whatever, like with full speed ahead and all this. It's like, what are we fixing? We're not fixing the actual problem. We're fixing, we're try, attempting to fix and, and largely failing. Um, but sometimes we like are able to put the fire out at least. We're, we're addressing symptoms of problems. We're addressing the red flag. We're not addressing why there was a red flag in the first place. We're not addressing why sailors end up with acute mental health issues. We're just trying to address the acute mental health issue. Like, okay, cool. You can address those things with therapy and medication and, and some other types of interventions. But then if you get that sailor to some form of like stasis and then send them back into that environment, guess what's going to happen? Like it's, it's just going to get be on fire again in five minutes. So you have to address the root of the problem. And I, and I think the, the big thing you can take away from the response to what I would call some of the missteps that I think were pretty unintentional. I think, yeah, the McPon had some human, human moments. I don't think there was any negative intent there. Um, I still, until I'm proven wrong, uh, think that he's pro he's most likely a, a really good guy <laughs> that, that cares so much about, uh, the Navy and the sailors that make it, uh, that he sacrificed a marriage and, uh, has endured his own mental health issues and continues to get after it, uh, until, 
you know, September when he calls it a career. I, I, I don't believe for a second that this guy is, um, is incompetent or toxic or, um, you know, hate sailors or whatever. Um, I think what you're seeing, the, the backlash that you're seeing is more a, uh, a response to misunderstanding the actual problem. And I, I'd, if I get the opportunity, uh, I'll definitely be talking to Russ Smith about this. Um, because I, I'm curious to, you know, to know how he perceives that problem and, and w- like if he thinks there's as big of a problem as I do and stuff like that, but who knows if that'll happen and maybe it'll be after your tires. But anyway, uh, this has gone on, uh, long enough. I think we're at an hour. Um, I hope it makes sense. I know it was a little scattershot because of, I, I went through the entire context of the all hands call on purpose. Cause I thought it was important. If you get the opportunity to listen to the audio, uh, I found the article, so it's a, it's well, it's a link. Uh, the Navy Times has the audio. It sounds like the same thing I listened to. I'm not 100 percent sure. I don't know where they got it. Um, I did not listen to the the Navy Times one. I just listened to like a quick uh, snippet of it to make sure it was the whole thing. Um, and it starts exactly the same way as the file I listened to. So uh, I'm gonna go ahead and just take it on faith that they published the real audio. But I don't trust the Navy Times as far as I can throw it. But uh, it's where the audio is if you want to go listen to it. Um, I encourage you to do that. He also published a statement um, that I think. I mean, it's relevant. Uh, and it was after um, all the like backlash started. And it just says statement on the USS George Washington. And it says, as a senior enlisted leader in the Navy, it is my responsibility to visit the fleet and hear from sailors who may be struggling or are facing personal issues that they need to advocate for. I do this by engaging in open and honest dialogue. My heart is with the sailors, of the USS George Washington who are hurting from loss. Uh, during my visit on the ship, I wanted to learn about the difficulties our sailors are facing familiar to me from similar situations during my tours and to understand their concerns. I heard the crew that day and far more sailors before. And since then, I am in an ongoing uh, discussion with our senior Navy leaders to share these concerns and to ensure they are aware of the issues and their impacts on uh, our sailors. Um, so, you know, kind of vague, but I think again, I mean, I think he felt compelled to do that. And uh, he also there's a Reddit thread out there. Um, it's in our Navy where he conversed with a sailor that messaged the official McPon Facebook page. And again, like, I, I don't know if, if like it looks accurate to me. There were screenshots from the actual messaging thing and stuff like that. But it's the Internet. So like <laughs> it looked real. And he you know had a pretty um, detailed response about uh, what went on and and how he felt about everything and whatever. So like, I don't know the, the, the summary, I guess, is that I still have faith that this dude's heart is in the right place and that he cares about sailors more than anything else. Um, with the concession that you like, he had some human moments during that all hands call. And I think the backlash is more rooted in, um, that his human moments, converged with a sore spot that a large population of the enlisted force has where um, they just are frustrated, pissed off and uh, 
just really sick and tired of being told that, well, this is just how it is or figure it out or just that like being told or made to feel like uh, their problems don't matter um, and that they don't matter. And I don't think just like I don't think that it's fair to characterize everything that Mick Pond did as nefarious. I also don't think it's fair at all to to point at the backlash and say that it's it it's not happening for a very valid reason, right? Like it's sailors are on fire about this because um, we're not doing a, a great job. Like this is our fault. It, it, it just is. And, I, and I've, I've talked about that a lot and I feel like I, I probably should say it more and, and I, I'm part of that. And I, and I want to make that clear as well as like, I'm part of the leadership structure in the Navy and have been for a very long time. And I'm part of the problem. And leadership owns this. Like the reason why we have the crazy mental health issues that we have, the reason why suicides happen at the rate that they do, the reason why it's not being figured out and it's not being fixed in the way that it should be is because we're failing. And if you haven't heard that before, here's me saying it again. Um, I... I really think recognition from the very top and ownership from the very top. And I think this could have been a thing that um, the Mick Pond could have said that maybe would have uh, like assuaged some of that negative response, I guess, or, or just the anger is like, look, I understand. And our continued failure to fix this is our failure we own that it's leadership's fault and i don't know that the the recognition uh at the highest levels exists i don't know if the uh, the willingness to take total ownership of that exists um and i think that's part of the problem but i think i'm gonna end it there um I'll have a ton of links uh, like I always do when I discuss mental health with all the mental health resources that I'm aware of. Um, If you need anything ever, as always, like if you need to talk to somebody, if you need help finding resources, if you need somebody to pick up the phone and argue with somebody at your command to advocate for you getting care, whatever, whatever I can do to help, whatever the people that I have in my network that can, that can do to help, um, or, I mean, worst case scenario, like I can just get you on the phone, uh, whatever. Like if I can help you in any way, especially if you're in crisis, do not hesitate to hit us up. Don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us. Don't give up the ship podcast or you can DM us on Instagram, Reddit or Discord at Digas podcast. Um, don't be ever be afraid to reach out uh, to me or to, to anyone, you know, like, but especially like if you're having trouble getting access to resources and you don't have anywhere else to go, like commands, not getting you where you need to be. And you feel like you're running out of options, start shooting up flares. Like there's a ton of awesome people on Reddit that will help. There's a, uh, you can reach out to me. You can reach out to there's Facebook groups. There's all kinds of stuff where there's a ton of people that are ready and willing to advocate for you to listen, uh, to, I mean, I'll share my experiences. Um, I know there's a lot of awesome people like Jason Thompson, Jeff Bayless. Like I got a lot of people in my orbit that have been where you are and, and, uh, understand it and can talk you through how they got from there to where they are now. Um, 
and I'm happy to do everything I can to link you up with those people or whoever else, whatever other resource I can, um, to get you the help that you need. Um, and yeah, that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship. 